I just kind of got started with that in the introduction and appreciate uh, Brother Joel preaching on Sunday. And uh, what a great message that was. If you missed it, I'd encourage you to go back and, uh, and listen to it. Uh, you say, Pastor, you weren't here. How'd you listen to it? Well, the same way I'm encouraging you to go back and listen to it. And, uh, and uh, that's why we have both uh, the live stream and then also uh, the recordings on, uh, on the website as well. You can go to the fpseaton.com, and that has uh, all of our uh, services on there. You can listen to the audio. And uh, so I was able to listen um, both to the beginning of Joel and then also, as uh, Brother Joel preached on Sunday as well, and so uh, really great messages. So, Dad, you come and continue our series in the book of Joel tonight. All right. Joel chapter 1. Joel chapter 1. As we start getting into this, we'll not get in, into the, the scripture itself much. Because before you ever study a Bible passage or a book, you need to find the context. You need to make observations of what it's talking about, the theme, where we're going. Uh, That way, as you start studying out, it really becomes alive to you and you'll be able to pick up on a lot of things. So that's what we're going to do tonight. Uh, If you look in in chapter 1... And verse number 9, we're just going to read a few verses that will kind of set the stage. And then we'll go back later and tell you exactly why we've read these. It says in Joel chapter 1 and verse number 9, The meat offering and the drink offering is cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests, the Lord's ministers mourn. Look in verse number 13. Gird yourselves and lament, ye priests. Howl, ye ministers of the altar. Come, lie all night in sackcloth, ye ministers of my God. For the meat offering and the drink offering is withholden from the house of your God. Look in chapter 2, verse number 15. He says, Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sanctify a fast. Call a solemn assembly. And we could read several other scriptures, but you'll get the point as we get into this tonight. Father, we thank you for your love. We ask God that you'd bless this study. Help us. Lord, help me as I cover the material that it be clear and, and, and understandable. And Lord, that you would set our hearts in this study and that it might be a blessing to each one. As we learn from your word, in Jesus' name, amen. So as we look at, try to get the context, and we we make observations, that's one of the things I teach people on how to study the Bible, you've got to make some observations. Otherwise, when you get in, there's going to be parables, there's going to be illustrations that he uses, and, and if you your mind is not already geared to these things, you're going to miss uh, what he's saying. Uh, Back in those days, they thought different. They did things different. The culture was different. And so as we get a hold of some of these things, it will really help us in our study. Uh, It's always good to find out the time when this thing was written, when Joel was written. And it kind of puts things in perspective. Joel's considered to be one of the first prophets. Uh, they call them the writing prophets. Uh, do we have that slide there, guys? The, the, 
the, uh, there we go. Uh, notice Obadiah is the only uh, prophet, the writing prophet that, that preceded him. And then you have Joel. It was around 8.30 to 8.20 when he wrote this. Uh, he's writing only to Judah. Now, Pastor, as he began the, or did the other study, he was talking about uh, Israel. And, but there's no mention of Israel at all in, in the book of Joel. It's all focused on Judah. And it's during the time when Joash was the king. Assyria was the world empire at that time. But it's, it's just very interesting as you get a hold of some of these, at, the dates play a certain importance as to find out whether this is the word of God or not. Um, and we'll see that as we go along. Some interesting points here. The, the Septuagint was the Greek translation of the Bible. But in the Septuagint, they have Hosea, Amos, Micah, Joel, Obadiah, Jonah. But in our Bible, we have Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. The, the books were laid out different. When it was first penned, uh, when they divided it up into chapters and verses, there was four chapters. Now, if you'll look in your Bible, you only have three. Now, what's that tell us? Chapters and verses are not inspired. Okay? Don't, don't think that whenever they divide them from a chapter and verse that, that that's a, that was of God. No, that was man just dividing it up so it's easier to find your place, to reference things of this nature. So it, it's very interesting that these... Some of these things are a little different. Again, there's no mention of Israel uh, at all. It is written to Judah and to Jerusalem. And he specifically says this, and there's reasons for that as we'll go into later. Uh, the verses that we read are all about the temple. And the, the reason I read that is because the temple being mentioned several times here in the book of Joel. So it has to be written before the Babylonian captivity. Because in the Babylonian captivity, that's destroyed. You, you've got it all taken away. So the temple and the temple worship is going on. The priests are there. The ministers of God are there. The temple is there. God says go to that temple. So obviously the the worship was definitely going on uh, in, a, in a big way. Uh, the Assyrian Empire. If we have that map on the, with the, uh, the conquerors, you can see here the Syrian Empire conquered the northern kingdom of Israel about in 740. Now, they're already, they're going to be out of the land. That's why he doesn't mention Israel. Because they're already in captivity here. Uh, they've taken their citizens, the leading citizens at least, and they've, they've left the peasants and some people to, to administer them. But then the southern kingdom of Judah, it continues on for about 150 more years. Uh, Israel's still in bondage. They're still in captivity. But Judah 
God is going to plead with them. God is going to warn them about certain things. And they went on to conquer uh, Judah later on. But this is what the book of Joel is, is concerning here. Uh, it, it was prophesied, Joel was prophesied about the time of the reign of Joash. Now, again, these things are, are more important than you think because he was the king of Judah. Now, he probably knew Elijah, Elisha, uh, during that same time. But when Joash began his reign, he was only seven years old. Can you imagine you, you folks that got seven-year-olds, can you imagine your child? Well, he was the king, per se. But the priest, the high priest, Jehoiada, he's the one that was actually doing the ruling, kind of like we have in America now. <laughs> Somebody else is calling the shots, you know. But uh, Joash... There's no mention of idolatry in the, book, in the book of Joel. And again, that's important. Because the three kings before, uh, before uh, Joash were totally steeped in idolatry. Uh, those in Israel, totally steeped in idolatry. Pastor's been preaching about that. But now in the book of Joel, we come to this point and there is no mention of idolatry at all. Now, why? Because when Joash, seven years old, began to reign, the high priest is the one calling the shots. And he does away with all this idolatry. Later on, as he... Dies. It says in the beginning, uh, talking about Joash, that, that he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. So for most of his reign, he had a godly reign. He reigned according to the Lord while Joash was king. But as soon as Joash, or excuse me, uh, Jehoiada, the, the, the high priest, when Jehoiada dies, now Joash turns back to idolatry. That's why I personally believe that this Joel was written during, the, during that time when Jehoiada was the high priest. Now, it's also interesting as you go through here, he mentions vine dressers. He mentions husbandmen. He mentions a drunkard. Uh, he mentions the priests. But there's never a mention of a king. Because as long as Jehoiada is reigning, although Joash is king, he's not considered a king. And they don't refer to him as a king. Not until Jehoiada dies off and now he actually becomes the king later on uh, as he's grown up now. So there, all of these different things are important as you read these things to, to get in your mind when this, was, this book was written. Many of the authors will tell you that it was written way later on. Uh, and I have a problem with many of those, uh, and we'll explain why. Uh, because Joel was quoted twice in the book of Amos. 
He's quoted four times in the book of Isaiah. Uh, Ezekiel, or not Ezekiel, um, Zechariah also quotes from Joel. So if these are later, you can't put him writing his book after they wrote theirs. But many of the authors will tell you that's when he wrote was way on past. But it, so as you, as you start putting these things together, you begin to get the idea of when this was written and why it was written. And these things will become evident as we go, go for, forward. Now, there's, there's, we're only going to look at four important observations. I've got several, but we're going to just look at four. I want, to, want you to notice these things that we see in Joel. First of all, observation number one. As you read Joel, you find out God is in control. You say, well, that's simple. No, we miss that. We miss it all the way through our life. God is in control. Nothing can happen to any of us without God allowing it. Satan cannot do anything without God's permission. So the things that are going to happen in Joel, I I heard a newscaster today. uh, He said, well, Mother Nature, talking about Florida. No, it wasn't Mother Nature. I cringe when people use that term. Uh, Let me tell you what Mother Nature is. Webster said it's a natural personified, or nature personified as a woman, considered as the source and guiding force of creation. When you're saying Mother Nature, you're saying that she's the creator. You say, well, who was she? Well, she was the goddess in the Greek mythology. She was goddess Gaia. And essentially gave birth to nature. That's why they call her Mother Nature. And she created everything that exists within it and give birth to her own husband who was the god of the sky, Uranus. Before we use terms, we ought to think about and find out what we're talking about. And I, and I hear this term used all the time. Listen to me. What happened in Florida was not Mother Nature. What happened in Florida was God. He said, well, people died. They did all the way through the scriptures. You're going to see a whole lot of folks dying here. In the, in the tribulation, within the first three years, over a fourth of the world, two billion people are going to be dead within just a few years. You think COVID was something? It wasn't Mother Nature, and it's not going to be Mother Nature It's God. Now, as you read the book of Joel and you see this, you're going to watch God move nations, entire nations. He moves people. He moves governments. He uses nature to try to get across to man. He uses locusts, 
The first thing that you'll see when you come to chapter 1 is, is Joel is bringing their attention to this, this locust plague. And we'll get into that later, but the, the first observation you make is that God is in control of all of this. And if you miss that, you're going to be scratching your head and say, hey, so why'd this happen? Well, how'd this happen? Or who, who made this happen? No, God. God. Observation number two. I want you to notice as we, as we read this, what does God want and how does God respond to man? In verse number 13, he says, gird yourselves and what? Lament, ye priests. Howl, ye ministers of the altar. Come and do what? Lie all night in sackcloth, ye ministers of my God. For the meat offering and the drink offering is withholden from the house of your God. It's not there. Nobody's bringing it. Why? Because there is none to be brought. God. Verse 14. Sanctify ye a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land. Where? Into the house of the Lord your God and cry unto the Lord. Look in chapter 2, verse number 12. Therefore also now saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. God wants man to repent. In churches, God wants man to repent. In Florida, God wants man to repent. People say, well, do you have a good time over in Hawaii? No. You'd have to put your head in a basket and only look at your feet. It's a wicked, ungodly, naked, perverse place. And it's no different than Florida. God hates wickedness. God hates sin. We've quit hating sin. We won't talk about sin. We won't identify sin. And that's what, was, what had happened to, it, to Judah here. Notice as, as, as we go. Does, does God repent? Have you ever thought about that? Does God repent? That's one of the questions on our oral questions for our students out of West Coast. And you say, does God repent? And they go, how am I supposed to answer that? Yes, no. Yes, he does, but no, he doesn't. Now, watch this. God did not make a mistake, and he does not change his mind, which has led what we think of repent, to change our mind. And we use that that definition sometimes, which is, is true in our case, but not in God's case because God has not made a mistake. He's never made a wrong thought. He's never made a wrong choice. 
And so for God, he does not change his mind, but what he does, and this is very important that you get this before we get into Joel. God gives Judah a choice. What he teaches in this book is I am giving you a choice. God has given man a choice. God in his foreknowledge, he already knows what he's going to do. But what God does is he says this. If you go on the right side, this is what I'm going to do. If you go on the left side, this is what I'm going to do. It's your choice. You can go on the left or you can go on the right. You can choose this or that. You can choose to go fishing or you can choose to come to church. You can choose to go to a ball game or you can come choose to worship God. You can choose to buy that that other pair of shoes or you can choose to tithe. It's our choice. Everything about man, God has given us the freedom of choice. And, and, and this is extremely important. Notice, it, it may not be on, in uh, Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 6. The Bible says, And it repented the Lord that he had made man on earth, and it grieved him in his heart. He wasn't sorry he made man. He was sorry that man made the choice they made. And, and he didn't want to punish them. But because of the choice they made... He has to punish them. Now, Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19, it says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? He's given us a choice. He said, if you go this way, I'll bless you. You go this way, all over and it's our choice so what does that tell us nobody can blame anybody but ourselves, because we're the ones that make the choice you can't blame Joe Biden as much as I'd like to but you can't blame Donald Trump you can't blame the preacher you can't blame your husband your wife you make the choice And we have to bear with that choice. God's repentance is in direct response to the choice that man makes. Okay? God's repentance is in direct response to man's action. God wants to bless us. He wants to love us. He wants to fellowship with us. But because of man's sin... His heart was grieved because he had to punish them for their wrong choice. Now, what's this teach us? Well, it teaches us that man has been given a free will to make choices. Everybody agree to that? You would think everybody would agree to that. God does not force us. Adam and Eve were not forced to eat the fruit. He gave them a choice. By having the free will, men are responsible for their choices And their actions, that's what we have to teach our children. 
Yes, you can make the choice, but the choice along comes the responsibility for that choice and the consequences thereof. If God punishes somebody that has, has no choice in the matter, then God is not just. And we know that God is just. So Joel here is pleading with Judah and warning Judah. God has told you this, but this is what God wants. He loves you. He wants you to make the right choice. And he says, I will bless you. I'll bring the latter rain. I'll, I'll, I'll bless you in all different ways. But if you don't, this is what's going to happen. Now, why is this so, so valuable and so important? Because this is what you can, you can use to figure out what's false doctrine or not false doctrine. There, there's doctrine that's going around and it's permeating Baptist churches all over the country. It's called Calvinism. What Calvinism teaches is man has no choice. Now, wait a minute. From the very beginning, from chapter 2 all the way through, God gives man a choice. And what, what Calvin taught, they, they put it into an acrostic called TULIP. It's called the TULIP theory. All right? We're going to run through them very fast, and I'm just going to show you why these things are important. Number one, the total depravity of man. Now, we believe in the total depravity of man. Everybody's depraved. But what he teaches is that man is so totally depraved that they cannot make the choice to be saved. So he throws out man's free will. Letter U, the unconditional election. What he teaches that you cannot make the choice to be saved. The choice has been made for you. It's unconditional. You can't refuse it. So your choice doesn't make any difference. The choice is made for you. Throws, totally throws out the free will of man. Letter L, the limited atonement. Jesus only died for a certain few. Therefore, the choice is already made for you, whether you go to heaven or hell, and you actually have no choice. You see how crazy this doctrine is when you think it through and you, and you look at it? From the very beginning, he teaches that man has a choice. All the way through Revelation, he teaches that man has a choice. He punishes people because of their choices. But they're saying man has no choice. The I, irresistible grace. You are forced to make the choice of salvation and there is nothing you can do about it. It's forced on you. Well, that's not free choice. That's not free will. And then perseverance. Your choice doesn't matter. Your choice does not matter. You still have to work and endure to the end even if you've made the right choice. So every point of their doctrine totally flies against everything that the entire Bible is teaching. 
And it all has to do with choice. And that's what he teaches us in the book of Joel here. Now, let me find out where I went. Observation number two, or excuse me, observation number three. Outside of drunkenness, the prophet does not name any sin or sinner. Now that was amazing to me as I continue to read it. Not one time outside of, he mentions, have the drunkards, look at this. But outside of that, there's no mention of a sin. And there's a reason for that. We'll get into that in just a bit. He foretells of judgment all the way through. He, he, he's warning them of this judgment, but he does not specify any sins. He calls for repentance as the mean of turning away from their sin. The solution to America is to turn away from sin. The solution to marriage problems, somebody's got to turn away from sin. The solution to church problems, somebody's got to turn away from sin. Every solution, he wants us to repent, to turn from our sin and turn back to him. The problem was they knew their sin. Now this is key. When you, when you see what he says in the book of Joel, he did not have to point it out. Why? They knew it. They knew what their sin was. Listen, we know. Preacher, don't have to preach on it. We know what our sin is. Now, we can, we can make you a list of the neighbor's sins, can't we? We can make a list of our president's sins or other, other president or Congress or uh, America's sins. We can write them all down. But we can't find one to put down for ourselves. Because we're not looking. They knew what their sin was, so he didn't have to say a word. His prophecy is a declaration of God's displeasure at their whole life and what they were doing. Of God coming judgment against all sin unless man repented. It, he deals with the house of God. They were going to the house of God. They were worshiping in the house of God. And God says, I'm going to stop it. I'm just going to stop it. And he did. Observation number four. Joel knows that Judah and Jerusalem had heard and knew the word of God and what the other prophets have said about their rebellion, their spiritual adultery, their drinking, their idolatry, their spiritual and physical adultery. They'd made a covenant with the Canaanites and then began to worship their gods. He didn't have to point all these out. They knew what their sin was. But God continued to warn Judah about his coming judgment. That's why in Jeremiah chapter 3, this was an amazing passage. And this is why I know that he wrote this before Jeremiah. 
He says in in Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 8, And I saw when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committeth adultery. Now, who's he talking about? Israel. Okay? Israel committed adultery and had put her away and give her a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not but went and played the harlot also. God had already judged Israel and taken her out and said, you saw it, and you know why I did it. Verse 9, And it came to pass through the lightness of her whoredom that she, Israel, defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and stocks, that's idolatry, He said, verse 10, and yet for all of this, her treacherous sister, Judah, had not turned to me with her whole heart, but feignly, saith the Lord. Feignly means empty or a lie or a sham, a show. And that's what happens in so many churches. You have people going and worshiping. That's why you you hear these people on the TV, whether they're newscasters or whether they're government officials, and, and when they want God, they'll come out and hold hands and say, God bless America. And they'll turn right around and say, let's go break out the champagne. What hypocrisy. That that's that's a sham. And that's what's happening in our churches. We, we, we fainly worship God. It's a show. Well, that's why our altars aren't filled. Used to be that altars would be filled and people would be there. I had a man call me today. I hadn't seen him for 40 years. And he said, I just wanted to call you and tell you, Brother Stensis, thank you for coming to Tor home as a missionary and preaching the gospel. He said, I remember when you took me off to that little room off to the right. And you led me to the Lord. I wish you'd have seen that church. It was nothing for people just fill the altar and just weeping. And, and, and begging God to ha- have them have a good family and have a good testimony and help them to win somebody to Christ. And, and just, it, it, it was amazing. We baptized over 504 years. God was working. It was amazing. What do you see? Do you see the judgment on Florida or do you just see Mother Nature? Do you see judgment in California or do you just see Mother Nature? Uh, this thing over with Russia, that's not, not, that's not an accident. Putin couldn't move a pencil without God allowing him to move it. And we forget this and who we're talking about and who we're dealing with. Judah saw Israel's sin and knew God's judgment on them. That's why Jeremiah 17 and verse 21, Thus saith the Lord, Take heed to yourselves and bear no burdens on the Sabbath day nor bring it in the gates of Jerusalem, neither carry forth a burden out of your house on the Sabbath day, neither do ye any work, but hallow ye the Sabbath days as I commanded your fathers, 
Notice the next verse. But they obeyed not. Neither inclined their ear. They wasn't going to listen. But made their neck stiff that they might hear or might not hear nor receive instruction. Jeremiah, he laid it right out before him. You knew. You saw Israel. You saw God working in Israel and what God did. And yet, it didn't move you. It didn't change you. It didn't bring you to your knees. They knew. Well, you say, Joel was just the second prophet after Obadiah. But they had Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and Joshua and Judges and Ruth and 1st and 2nd Samuel. All those books. And Obadiah. And Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. They had all those. God had taught them To make right decisions. And God had taught them what was going to happen if they did not make right decisions. We have a free choice. Every one of us in this church has a free choice. And we have the responsibility for that choice. And we have the accountability... God will hold us accountable for that choice that we have made. We have 66 books, not just a few in the Old Testament. We have 66. We know. He talks about the sin that does so easily beset us. Every one of us have one, or two, or three. What's God want? He wants the same thing that he wanted for Judah. He wants us to look at those people. He wants us to look at those that have made the wrong choice and gotten booze and gotten drugs and and gotten all the different situations and things and how it's ruined their lives and their marriages and destroyed their homes and destroyed their careers and destroyed their minds and destroyed their bodies. He said, I want you to think. I've given you a free choice and you know what to do. He said, make the right choice. Or I will. I will. I promise you I will. That's why in verse number one when we talked about Jehovah God. The term there is that he will fulfill what he's going to say in the book of Joel. I don't have to preach on your sin. I don't have to go down a list. When I first got saved I thought man there was a list. And boy I had to. Go down that list. If you're doing this and if you're doing that, if you didn't check all the boxes, you wasn't of God. (laughs) That was a foolish young preacher. I don't have to preach on your sin. 
you already know. Whether you're going to do anything about it or not, it's entirely up to you. He says, if you do this, I'm going to do this. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to love you. If you do this, it's all downhill. The choice is yours. As you go back through, and I want you to do it again. I gave you the assignment last week. I want you to read the book of Joel again. Some of you have been doing it. Tell me you've been reading every day. You've been reading the whole thing. That's good. I've been doing the same thing. It's, just, it's exciting. And every day I learn more. We're going to get in this book and we're going to have fun. It's going to be good. But if you get these observations before you ever get in the book of Joel, it'll help you. It'll help you. Father, Lord, you've given us your word. Lord, we know what our sin is. Whether we confess it or not, Lord, you've given us that choice. Lord, I pray that even right now, as people in this building, they know, they know what's, what's there, that they might make that decision to confess and forsake that sin that does so easily beset them. Father, have your way in our hearts as we study this book that we might Truly see thee in every page and every verse and how you work in man and through our lives. Father, have your way in Jesus' name. Pastor, would you come? God told Judah that he saw his sister Israel doing the same things. And she just, Judah just kept on going. We see others making mistakes and we see the judgment of God and we don't learn from that. We just keep right on going. Yet he offers us that opportunity to repent, to turn from it, to turn to him.
but it's our choice. Appreciate that tonight. Looking forward to continuing this study, and uh, it's going to be very good. Brother Joel, why don't you go ahead and come tonight and uh, share some prayer requests with us this evening.